Hey everybody, it's Dan. Welcome or welcome back to the Bridge Church Podcast. Please, at the end of this episode, take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and head over to bridgechurchutah.com and have access to all of the church information and it's the easiest way to share content with a friend and keep up with everything going on around here at Bridge Church. Most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. So I want to welcome everybody on the stream. Say hi, stream. Hi, podcast. Thanks for joining us. Like, subscribe, share. I want to encourage you, if you want to look back in the series we're in, go to our YouTube channel. Easiest way to do it, go to the website, Bridge Church Utah, scroll to the bottom, there's a great big banner. It says YouTube channel, okay? So that's how you find that. You can watch and listen and, and do all that fun stuff. Uh, there's even the notes. If you're traveling, the notes are on there. You can download them, okay? Let's all stand together. We're going to pray, and then we will dive into this thing. Everybody all right? So, Father, in the name of Jesus, Father, you are the Lord of lords and the King of kings. You are the one and the only Lord in our lives. And Father, we thank you that your word is truth in our life. Father, that we can read it, we can study it, we can get it in our heart. Then, Father, and only then can we speak to things and things change. We can speak to our soul and say, arise. And we can speak to our marriage and say, live. And we can speak, that is your church, Jesus. So, Father, we thank you that you're in this place. You're changing lives, changing hearts. And, Father, as we speak your word today, let it land on fertile ground and produce 100-fold in its life. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. If anybody can agree with that, amen. say amen. Hallelujah. May be seated this morning. We're in a, in a series. Uh, we got this week and then we got next week. Uh, we're going to end it on Thanksgiving week talking about how uh, we are grateful that God is, dot, 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 all these things we've been talking about. And we are just barely scratching the surface. Um, but in this series, we're talking about the attributes of God, and it's God is blank. Our text scripture for this series, Hebrews 11, 6, it'll be right there, and it says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. He is what, right, is the question that we're asking. Um, and, and then that he is a rewarder, and the rewarder word there is uh, kind of our fill in the blank because God in this series that we've talked about has been good. God is justice. God is mercy. God is omniscient, om, uh, omnipotent, and omnipresent. Last week, God is sovereign, king, lord, not negotiable. He is Lord. And when the Lord speaks, things happen and people move, right? When the Lord speaks, Lazarus comes out of the tomb. And when he says, arise, guess what happens? Somebody rises because he is Lord, right? We discussed that last week. Whatever you put in the blank dictates how you live on this earth and how you see God. I say it all the time that I grew up in denominational church and I learned and was told and was taught God was mad. He was ticked off because he wrote a book and he sent these prophets 
and everybody whacked the prophets, and then he sent his son, and they killed him, and then he's going to return someday because nobody listens to his book, and he's going to be really ticked off about it, and he's just going to annihilate. We have to decide what he is in your life, right? Is he love? Is he good? Is he mercy? Is he grace? That's the, the, what we're going to talk about today. God is gracious. God is grace, okay? So let's re review some of our uh, definitions, right? Justice was done. You got what you deserved. A billion years in prison, right? Justice was served. Remember, the scales of justice and how they work, okay? They don't put all your good deeds on one side and all your cute little bad deeds on the other and then weigh it out to see if you're good or bad. They put everything on one side, and then the ultimate God is on the other side, and there ain't any of us that can measure up to how good God is. That's why Jesus, say Jesus, right? Jesus tips the scales in our favor. So justice is giving us what we deserve. All of us deserve to go to hell and pay for our own sins, and that is your option. God's like, hey, you can do it yourself. Go ahead. Pretty much done your whole life by yourself, so handle that. Now, mercy, mercy is not giving us what we deserve. That week I talked about that. I talked about Joel. Doesn't work anyway, but so I said, I'm going to teach you God's mercy. So every time after that, it was like, be like God, have mercy. It's like, no. So grace, adding to our definitions, grace is giving us what we don't deserve. Right? Let me remind you, mercy is not giving us what we deserve, right? Because we all deserve hell and damnation on this earth, all of it, regardless of how good you are, how many great things you do, how much you give, how much you've been to church, could have been saved as a three-year-old and served God the whole time, doesn't matter. You still are not right in God's eyes. That's why Jesus, say Jesus. So grace is giving us what we don't deserve. That's blessing. That's increase. The thing about grace is it's always unearned. Okay? So in other words, let's put this in, in real-life terms. This is just being real. Justice would be sending us to hell. Right? That's it. Justice. You're going to pay your way. You're going to do it this way. Mercy would be not sending us to hell. I have mercy on you. Have mercy on his soul, right? We talked about that. And grace would be sending us to heaven without even asking, without even having to do anything, right? So grace is the only answer for sin. Anytime there's sin, there has to be grace. There's nothing we can do. So let's discuss what grace is and what grace is not. And I have to preface this whole session that uh, in the four and a half hours we're going to be here today, we cannot cover grace in 40 minutes, right? That's why in January, the second Sunday in January, we'll start a brand new series, six weeks talking about grace because it's that big of a deal. It is the center of Christianity, okay? So that's going to happen in January. Today, we're just going to kind of scrape along the bottom and pick up some cool stuff because God is grace in a picture, has to be, right? Just like God is mercy, God is justice, God is grace. They all go together. All of his attributes go together. Now, in the Baker, Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible, 
There's a definition of grace that I, th I believe it's in your notes there. And uh, it says this. It says, grace is the dimension of divine activity, right? So that would mean God, that enables God to confront human indifference and rebellion. So many of us are indifferent <laughs> with rebellion. That's, that's a blessing. And then listen to this. He says, with an inexhaustible, say inexhaustible, inexhaustible. Capacity, capacity to forgive and to bless. Then it says, God is gracious in action. Let's say that together. Okay, ready? One, God is gracious in action. One more time. God is gracious in action. That has to get into your heart, that God is gracious. The biggest, well, all of his attributes are ridiculously important, but if I had to put one above all of them, I would say God is gracious and in action, right? So let me ask you a question. What is the opposite of sin? Some would say repentance. Others would say you know, what? Obedience. Obedience, perfection, okay? You know, if you're going to be sin and you turn your life around and accept Jesus, now you're righteous. Well, I would say the opposite of sin is grace, okay? Because the opposite of, of the justice has to be grace. Because Paul says in Romans chapter 5, and in the grace series, we go into Romans and like never leave. It's, you know, everybody uh, attributes the grace revolution to Pastor Prince. Well, I attribute it to Pastor Paul, right? The Apostle Paul, because he wrote Romans and that is it, right? He says in 520, moreover, the law entered that offense might abound, but where sin abounded, right? Where sin abounded, grace abounded, Say it with me. Much more. Again, much more. Where sin was, grace was grace. Now, we all know the purpose of the law was to make sin obvious and make you know that you need to be redeemed. You, you can't compete. Right? James 2.10, whoever shall keep the law yet stumble at one point, fail. You just lost everything doesn't matter if you stumble at one point. And if there's 613 points, chances are pretty good, you're going to fail someplace. But he says if you, if you fail in one, you fail them all. So the purpose of the law was to make sin obvious and make the need for redemption. I can't pay this bill. Evident, right? It was like I need somebody to help me pay this bill. Then grace abounds much more. So if sin, or let me say it this way, grace puts sin in its place. You can put sin aside by grace, by God's grace, right? I, I love what, uh, once, once we receive that grace, I love what Titus says, um, Paul's letter to Titus in chapter 2, verse 11, he says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It's available. It's appeared. It's there. He says, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, 
soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope, Jesus, and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So a lot of us take this grace thing and we're like, oh, this is a license to sin. No, it's a license to serve God and do the right. Can you hear me now? Yeah, it's like late night radio. Welcome to the love channel. It's like love, love songs on the coast for all you Southern Californians. It was better when they went to disco. But anyway, so get back on track. Grace abounded much more, right? And, and uh, grace was, um, grace puts sin in its place. And then because grace has put sin in its place, now we can live right. Right? Now we can live the way God has designed us to live. Now that word soberly uh, in the Greek comes from, doesn't, isn't a part of, but comes from sozo, which we all, meet, we all know it means to save. Okay, So uh, the word is an adverb signifying acting in a responsible manner. Where's the teenagers? Right back there, I see you. Okay? Acting in a responsible way. Uh, sensibly, prudently, being self-controlled and in full possession of intellectual and emotional faculties. <laughs> you know what? Your God's not nuts, and he doesn't make people do stupid things. So all the stuff you see and all the people that are crazy, it's like you're not living soberly. It doesn't even have to do anything with alcohol, which usually helps people be stupid. But soberly in this case means just having a right mind. Having your mind on right. And then we, because grace has been delivered and we've been set free, now it puts sin in its place. Now we can live right. We can treat each other, each other right. We can walk in love. Grace teaches us to live a godly life under control, not fearing God. Oh, if I don't go to church this Sunday, God's never going to bless me. God's going to get me. I'm not feeling good, so I messed something up. That's not the way it works. Your works... And my works have nothing to do with God's grace in your life. Somebody should say amen right there because that was good because your actions, you can never, I, I remember when I was a young Christian, I used to manipulate God. And can you imagine that? Like creator of the universe and I'm going to just manipulate him by being good. It's like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really bless somebody today. I'm going to help him push his car to the side of the road and God's going to bless me. Not the way it works. Doesn't matter. Your sin has been paid for, and that's it. God is grace 100%. Remember we talked about that a couple weeks ago? God is 100% gracious all the time. Right? And I was taught that great God's grace was withholding his justice from me. Okay? That was like, God's not going to get you if God's grace is sufficient. While his mercy is sufficient and his grace is sufficient and so is his grace. Mercy is used four times more in the Old Testament than the New Testament. And then uh, grace is used three times more in the New Testament than the Old Testament. And I blame Paul, the apostle, for Romans, right? That whole book is all about God's grace, God's grace, God's grace. Because remember, he's writing to people who are, are functioning under the law. It's like, do this or else. Do this or else. And he's like, you can do whatever you want. God's grace is sufficient, right? Talks about the uh, uh, infection or whatever you think it was, his thorn in the flesh. 
Right? Paul talks about that, and he says God's grace is sufficient, regardless, regardless, right? God sent his grace in the form of Jesus because his sovereign creatorship is all about relationship, not about functioning in a, in a capacity that helps you earn it because you can't earn it. Okay, so let's define grace. What is grace? On your handout there should say grace is, here's my personal definition, the unmerited, unearned, and unlimited kindness and favor of God. If you struggle with spelling, like I do, there you go. Unmerited unearned and unlimited kindness and favor of God. <laughs> Kidness, if you struggle with spelling. <laughs> Kindness, kind. Number one, number one, everybody got that? Number one, unmerited. What does unmerited mean? That means you have no merit in salvation. There's nothing, no credit, nothing you can do. You can't earn it. Uh, we all know Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. We've heard it a billion times, especially if you've been around church circles. For by grace, say grace. You have been saved through faith, Greek word. And then verse 9 says the favorite phrase, not of works, lest anyone should boast. The for by grace there should read, in, in the Rasha translation, it says faith, not you. Can't have credit, can't even if you raised your hand, you walked in aisle, you weeped and cried, and like for some of us, we're in a janitorial closet, face down on the ground. God moved in that place and changed my whole life. And, you know, that, that just that experience at a men's retreat I wasn't supposed to be at, Jesus met me there and saved me. And it was, I came home from that retreat, I walked in the door and Michelle just started crying because she could see a difference. In, in just the physical, much less the conversation that we had after that went on for a couple of days, that, that God, by his grace, could save someone like me, right? That, that song, Amazing Grace. I love that song. And, and we used to sing that song at these retreats. And it just is like if you had a past like mine, that song hits your heart and it just vibrates it. It's bad to, it's, it's ridiculous to understand being saved by grace. It's just ridiculous. And, and here's the problem. If we, if we try to figure it out and we say we're saved by what I did or I'm saved and I'm going to earn my way to heaven and I'm going to brag about it when I get there, well, that just means you saved you, which means you get to pay for your own judgment and justice. And God will allow it. It's okay, right? It was his sacrifice, Jesus' sacrifice that purchases our way into heaven, all right? And, and I always uh, had a, a pastor friend of mine in college who used to say, you're really not going to functionally understand grace until you get to heaven and see the nail prints in his hand and in his feet. Then you're going to get it, which for me, I'm kind of looking forward to right? So uh, we can almost say that it's demerited unfavor that we have because we can't do anything. 
That's all you have. That's why we have an altar. They call it an altar call, but we call it an invitation because you can come into relationship with Jesus today and change your life, but there's nothing that we can do to make that earnable. Like you can't earn your way into heaven, right? I like uh, uh, in Ephesians chapter 1, uh, the accepted there literally is graced with grace. He says in uh, verse 4, he says, just as he, ch this, these verses just really make me weep. Because think about this for a second. In verse 4, he says, just as he chose us. Look at your neighbor and say, he chose you. He chose you. And, and that's amazing. But listen to what else happens. Before the foundation of the world. Before the stinking world was even created, he chose Michelle. He chose Michelle to grace with grace. Right? Before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame, again, back to Titus, living soberly and right, before him in love all the time. We're supposed to love. Having predestined, that word freaks people out, just meaning, you know, he thought about you before you did, us to adoption as sons of Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure. God's not like, okay, Joel can come. He's like excited that Joel is coming, right? It's, it's good pleasure of his will. To the praise, say praise. praise. Say, you know what? You're accepted. Doesn't matter what you do. You're accepted, right? And, and for a lot of us who had a rough family life that maybe you weren't accepted into the family because you made some mistakes, maybe uh, going back to the alcohol thing, maybe blah, 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 out of your mouth, kind of hurt some people and did some things, you're accepted in God's family, and, you know, it may take years and years and years to patch up the physical relationship. But this relationship is good. You're accepted before the foundations of the earth. I chose Dan before I even created the earth. I knew what was going to happen. It's up to us to be obedient then. He chose us. Not because you are a great person. Because your performance is wonderful but because he chose you because he wants to have relationship with you. you. Isaiah says, your works are like filthy rags, Isaiah 64. You can't do anything ever, right? I used to have a coach, God rest his soul. He used to say, you can never do anything right. And I'm like, yep, you're right. Luckily, I didn't know Jesus then, and we used to shoot pucks at him. <clears throat> well, that's a story for another series. All right. Isaiah says in Isaiah 64, our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. What we try to do here doesn't work. I don't know how any of that works or how that functions, but Jesus said, right? In, in uh, Hebrews 8, 12, it says, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousnesses. Right? He's just going to have mercy. And their sins and lawless deeds, I will remember no more. So once you come into relationship with Jesus, think about this for a second. Because he chose you before the planet was created. He can, and you're in relationship with Jesus. 
he can look right past your sin and just see your heart and say, that one's mine. Your, your past sins, your current sins today, and your future sins are forgiven. That's called grace, right? Works aren't going to get you there. Grace covers even stupid sins. Anybody ever, just me, I guess, did anything stupid in my life, right? I'll put two feet and a foot up on that one because I've done a lot of stupid stuff. And every stupid decision usually starts with the phrase, hold my beer, right? That's an automatic trip to the emergency room right there, right? Number two, <clears throat> unearned. According to our, our definition, number two, unearned. Let me just, just tell you something. There is nothing in my life better than unearned income. Amen, somebody? Can I get an amen, right? How about some interest, a dividend check, a bonus check? Anybody? Capital gains, appreciation, right? Unlike the IRS that charges you as income on that, God does not in your sin life. You cannot earn this thing. I love uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 23, starts the Romans road, if you're familiar with that. And it says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Verse 24 says, being justified, justified never sinned, justified, say it with me, freely, right? Freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. Come on, it's free. It's unearned income because it's free, right? Unlike the IRS who wants to charge you on that, whatever. Romans chapter 11 verse 6 says this, and if by grace, so let's just talk about grace for a second. If by grace, then it's no longer works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. If you're going to work for it, not grace, right? You can if you want, but if it's works, it's not grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. You can't do anything to earn this thing. I had a kid one time, he walked up to me, and he just had a, a real encounter with God. And he said, Pastor, I'm going to pray for a whole day straight just to thank God for saving me. I'm like, oh, that's great, but that ain't going to get you anywhere. right? You're not going to earn extra favor from God. It is what it is. It cannot be earned. When you're, when you're every, we get paid on the 7th and the 22nd. And, and Deloitte Hansen, who owns the company I work for, doesn't call me and say, hey, I just gave you a gift on the 7th. Thanks for working for the company. I'd be like, that's 88 hours of hard, sweaty, stinky labor that I put in, and it's not a gift, bro. I work for that. But if he called me on the 7th or the 22nd and said, hey, I paid you for the time that you work and then gave you a bonus on top of it. Just a joke. I'm going to give you an extra bonus. That's a free gift, right? That's a gift. It's either a gift or it's earned. You choose what it is. But you cannot earn salvation from God, right? And he asked two questions like, what is it? And who paid for it? Because... You have no income, right? So uh, 
or give a birthday gift to somebody. We got a lot of November birthdays. I don't know what happened like nine months ago, but somebody was busy. But all these birthdays, what if I gave, uh, it's Polly, Polly had a birthday in November. What if I gave Polly a gift and said, here, happy birthday. And then I said, that'll be $86, please. <laughs> right? Is that a gift then? No, that's being paid for that thing. Let's talk about this word in the Greek, grace, right? Charis, charis, right? Or charis, or charis, or charis, like where we get grace gifts, charismatic, right? Charismatic gifts. It refers to, the reference in the Greek is a gift. Greek in the Hebrew term refers to goodwill, loving kindness, favor, in particular to God's merciful grace, charis, right? Now, I just bought a book, and I'm starting to read it. I started reading it last night, and it, there's, it's about cultural reference to scriptural meaning, okay? So you should be happy because this is going to help you understand things in the cultural first century because Paul's writing this in specific to a culture in the first century Roman world, okay? The Greek word implies in the culture of three parties, Okay? You would think it would just be two people, like a giver and a receiver. Well, there's three people involved. The patron, the patron would be the fifth-generation baker, and he baked goods, right? Well, they had a huge fire in their house, and the whole place burned down, right? So they lost everything. So this, the baker would be the client. These are just words that they used in the story. The baker would be the client. He knew a rich lady who was a seamstress who had a lot of, of ways to get things. She just knew a lot of people, right? She would be known as the patron because she had access to a lot of stuff, but she wasn't super wealthy. She just had access to stuff, right? Then there was this thing called a broker, and the broker was the dough man, cha-ching guy. He paid for everything. And they went through the story, and the baker went to the patron to get help to, who created sales for the baker, but he had access to all the stuff the baker needed, an oven, dough, sheep, I don't know, whatever you need to bake bread, right? All this stuff had access to it, but the broker was the one who paid the price for the equipment, not the, not the, uh, the patron. So if we, he says this story is a picture of how Horis works in cultural functioning Greek in the first century. And he said they take the picture of the client who's us, who need help, and then the patron would be the one with access to the goods, and then Jesus would be the one who paid the price for those goods. And that's called Horis. That's called grace that he paid for the goods with no expecting anything in return. He just paid the price. So the baker could bake and bless the broker, okay? Then he says there's a major ad, uh, added part to this that nobody thinks about, but because of the grace that was given, there is major gratitude element that deals with grace, haris, and faith, pistes in the Greek, that is nobody ever thinks about. So when you stand and worship God in the morning and maybe you don't like the song or maybe you don't like this, why, you know, you still have to honor God in that 
because of the grace he's bestowed on us. I guess you don't have to, but honor uh, and uh, gratitude would say thank you. Amen? Now that you're completely confused. Part number three is unlimited. Unlimited. Because we know that God is infinite and his grace is unlimited. Right? How many times do you ask for forgiveness on one thing? Same thing, you keep going back to the well, and it's stupid, but you're like, God, forgive me, this is it, I'll never do this again. Right? And two weeks later, guess what? Father, I'll never do this again. It's unlimited grace, and it continues, and it continues, and it continues. John 1.16 in the uh, NASB version says this, for his fullness, for of his fullness we have all received Grace upon grace, that Greek word there, upon, literally means over and over and over and over and over and over, and it never ends. It's unlimited. Grace upon grace. God's is infinite. His grace is infinite because God is grace. Are you with me? Right? Let me show you something that is amazing uh, I did this in, in college, and it came to my mind the other day, so I, I'm going to put it in here, about how infinite God's grace is. Most of you know Paul, the apostle, the original preacher of grace, right? And it was a big deal to him because he had a past, right? Holding the jackets, you know, crucified or killed, and his job was to kill Christians, right? So he had a past like all of us. But he understood grace. He wrote 13 books of the New Testament, right? And I'm going to run through all 13 of these books. And I want you to see every one of his epistles starts with grace and ends with grace. Are you ready? Romans 1.5, through him we have received grace. He starts with grace and ends with grace. Romans 16.24, for the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ will be with you all. 1 Corinthians 1.3, grace to you and peace from our God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Starts with grace, ends with grace. 1 Corinthians 16.23, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Do you think he understood grace? 2 Corinthians 1.3, grace to you. 2 Corinthians 13.14, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. What a benediction, right? Oh, love that. Galatians 1.3, grace to you. Galatians, Ephesians 1.2, grace to you. Ephesians 6.24, grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 1.2, grace to you. Philippians 4.23, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And these, are, these are letters. You think he got it. I think he got it. Colossians 1.2, grace to you. Colossians 4.18, be with you. Second Thess, grace to you. Second Thess 3, uh, 18, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. First Timothy 1, 2, grace, mercy, and peace. There's some attributes of God, right? From God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord be with you. First, uh, where was I? First Timothy 6, grace be with you. Second Timothy 1, 2, grace and mercy and peace be with you. Second Timothy 4, 22, grace be with you. Titus 1, 4, grace, mercy, and peace be with you all. Grace be with you all. Titus 3, 15, Philippian, Philemon, grace to you. 
Verse 3, you want to read a whole book? Start with that one. It's just like one chapter. Uh, verse 25, our grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you spiritually. Spiritually, You started with grace. You finish with grace. It's unmerited. It's unearned. And it's unlimited favor of God. God is grace. Say it with me. God is grace. I want to show you a video that is the biggest picture of grace I have ever seen. And if you have a heart, it's going to water your eye. Okay? Um, it's about he's never been able to walk or talk. He's in a wheelchair, paralyzed, right? Even though he couldn't do those things, the family discovered he was super intelligent. And in 1972, engineers at Tufts University built a computer that allowed him to communicate by using his head and choosing letters on a screen. It was like amazing technology for 1972, right? Sometimes I wish we could go back to 1972. The first words that Rick put out using this new technology was, Go Bruins! because they live in a Boston area, and that's the Boston Bruins, and we'll just pray for him after the service because he needs to be delivered from that. So he loves sports, right? When, who was paralyzed like him. And he wanted to participate in this five-mile race. It was a fundraiser, right? So he asked his dad, and um, they signed up for the race, and his dad pushed him in his wheelchair all the way through that five-mile race. After the race, Rick told his father that he didn't feel handicapped when he was running. Since then, in 1972, Rick and Dick Hoyt have competed in over a thousand races. And I'm not talking uh, five-mile races. I'm talking about Boston Marathon. I'm talking about triathlons. I'm talking about Team Hoyt participating in the Ironman Triathlon, which if any of you know anything about that, that isn't for anybody that's, like, out of shape, right? It's, uh, um, they have competed in 255 triathlons, six being Ironman distance, right? Uh, Ironman Triathlon is a two-and-a-half-mile swim, okay? Think about this, a 112-mile bike ride. I don't even like driving 112 miles, right? And then after that, a 26.2-mile marathon. When, when Dick swims, when Dad swims, he's towing his handicapped son in a raft behind him. When he runs, he's pushing him in a specially designed wheelchair. Um, with, and when he... Uh, bikes, Rick is on the front in a specially designed bike seat. I want to picture, paint you a picture of God's grace for us. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Sandy, South Jordan, West Jordan, or Harriman area, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend gatherings. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, head over to bridgechurchutah.com or email info at bridgechurchutah.com or you can simply text 801-391-6969. We're looking forward to seeing you soon.